are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Soft, slow, spacious. Mark Hirsch describes himself as an inter-artist, communicating in languages of sound, visualization, code, and design to realize his ideas. Hirsch holds a Bachelor of Music from Lawrence University's Conservatory of Music and a Master of Music from the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. A native of the American Midwest, Hirsch currently resides in Santa Barbara, California, where he is pursuing a PhD in Media Arts and Technology at UCSB. To find out more information about Mark Hirsch or see some of his visual projects, please go to mhinterarts.com. You describe yourself as an interartist. Correct. So can you describe the shift that happened from being a musician mm-hmm. to being a composer to being an interartist? Sure, yeah. So for me, it's all been... Isn't I've never had that feel like a, a change of field or anything like that. It's more just things have opened up as I needed them to. Um, you know, like starting off as a guitar performance major, um, that was a pretty narrow, and especially like just mainly focusing on jazz, that was a pretty narrow like entry point into the whole creative world. And sometimes I suspect it's just because it's what I already knew how to do a little bit. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, but then like pretty quickly in music school, I was like, this is great playing these standards that all these other people write, you know, or wrote, you know, back in the day. Um, and there's so much you can do with that. If that's your thing. But for me, it was like I need like to say the things I wanted to say creatively. I kind of had to have a, a stake in that more than just playing something that someone else wrote. And, you know, so that gave way to composing. Um, and pretty quickly after that, I, like that kind of broke me out of like the kind of jazz world, too. And like I started to see like all these people like Morton Feldman and... John Luther Adams that have done like things that kind of blur a lot of boundaries and kind of bring a whole different sort of like philosophical and like spiritual, if you will, you know, kind of experience to music more than just playing like swing charts. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, yeah, I they're, they're really, a bit different. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really meditate, you know, while I was playing like Corcovado or something like that. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, so that so it just became like a necessity for me to say what I wanted to say. So I started composing, and it was pretty funny because I quickly realized why I was so unhappy, not unhappy, but so unsatisfied. I guess like just playing jazz or whatever. Because like I remember the first piece I wrote was like quarter note equals like one and um, <laughs> like you know like nine That's nine awesome. P's like you know like as soft as possible and like as slow as possible and like one note for a really long time and like a ding somewhere like off stage um and so it was like very clear like okay this is like this was what was in me and not so much like you know like that type of stuff so um so like that just kind of gave way to that um and then like that just gave me a taste of like you really could i guess what it was is it broke down a lot of structures like jazz is so like formal in a way like the way you learn it and the way you play it and composing was so like you could just do whatever you want and there's no you can go anywhere you want with it. Um, so that just kind of gave me a taste of that. And then the bigger jump maybe from from music to everything else was just I feel like in some ways maybe maybe because of the type of music that I love to do was so like experiential maybe that it just lent itself to having other things involved like visual um, or video. Um, and so I just started to dabble in that. And then to me it felt like I could communicate – a bigger idea more easily. So like whether it was like the ballet I wrote or doing a film with a score, um, I felt like I could just get more out of that experience and like say more than just like some notes on a page. Not that that's a bad thing, but just that's like kind of where I wanted to go with it. Um, And then, you know, from there, like I guess the whole thing was kind of pushing towards like having more of a experience and maybe less of a, um, like a listening maybe and so that kind of just naturally gave way to the idea of like installation art. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, then I then I was like, okay, I don't even need to have a, a piece that's like has a duration, but I can just have a, a, an experience. I can have a room that people can just be in and experience that. Um, and that just opened the door to everything, basically. Like that quickly opened the door to robotics, you know, making this stuff happen when I wasn't there or 
interactive stuff that could keep the installation going while I wasn't there. Um, so it, it just kind of all was a necessity to get to the to get to a more elaborate experience of what I was trying to say. Um, and then you know now where I'm at now, it's like kind of the full. Um, you know, it's it's just getting more and more open each each time I do something. I think. Do you think? I mean, you're you're looking for an experience, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the main, I would I would say that the main hurdle for composers, when mm-hmm. I mean someone who someone who de- describes himself or defines himself as as a composer, first and foremost, mm-hmm. the main the main, <clears throat> I guess, hurdle for them to do these types of things that you're doing is that it's not it's not easily documentable, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not easily presented to like, to, to uh, a board or right. a, uh, a committee or something. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I was actually having this conversation with another, uh, another composer uh, in my collective, John Sokol. And we were saying that, you know, someone mm-hmm. like John Luther Adams, where, the incredible duration is, you know, is mm. prohibitive to right to making this available digitally, and also the spatial element of his piece. You know, so many of his pieces are mm-hmm. are spatially oriented, and like it just you you have to be there, right? Yeah, to to have that experience, and I actually I love that about those pieces yeah. because it makes the it makes the performance that much more special you know Certainly. i can't i i can't just go onto itunes and find this piece and have the same experience as when mm-hmm. i am in the middle of a hundred drummers you know beating the hell out of right. their drums and cymbals and everything else and the room is shaking and you know you you just don't have the same experience so it's so i i, I think that is so valuable but at the same time it's for someone who like defines themselves as a composer it's a huge risk yeah no it is i mean and the tricky or the thing that i struggle with about kind of like the idea of documentation especially in these things that are very experiential like kind of you need to be there is that documentation is great because like you said it's something that you need to do to further your career and your art and get your you know get your work out there um but documentation also kind of takes all the fiction out of the art too because i think one yeah. thing that's so great about the experience of being in that drum circle or being in the installation or being at a John Luther Adams um, performance is that you're in it in the moment, but then you also have this like pretty faulty memory of it too. Like you know, as time goes by, you you know you have this weird perception of it that's not particularly reliable. But there's something about that, like there's something mysterious about that. I think and something like yeah, there's actually something you know, beautiful about that. Right, like, exactly. You, yeah. y- your your memory of the piece evolves over time and if you had a good experience your memory will of it will just get better and better right you know? exactly yeah you kind of block exactly. you kind of block out the moments where you weren't engaged or or whatever right yeah as opposed to like going back and listening to like or watching the recording of it of like you know some guy had like a zoom inside of his jacket pocket and you're like oh well this sounds like shit you know like, <laughs> yeah it was way oh, better he, than he just moved <laughs> yeah exactly is that gum okay um yeah so i think that there's yeah, there's, there's something you lose a lot, but but then it's you know it's tricky, like you said, because you have to do these things as like a, an artist in our time, um, you know. And I've I've struggled a bit with that because I like to do these sort of succinct little videos on my website of the projects I do, but usually yeah. some of them are such snippets of what the actual thing is. So in some ways, I feel like, in you know the way the way I've seen it more successfully for people and the way I've been trying to do is almost think of it as completely different pieces. Like you have this piece that is the thing you go to see live and then you have a completely different piece that's like comes from the same thing that goes up on your website or whatever else. But like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I try to, I've been trying to stay away from trying to document a thing as opposed to just using the same material to create a different piece. Like for example, um, you know, in Houston, I was working with um, Lydia Hans from Frame Dance, and we did this piece that um, I was very happy with. It had all these video projections and radios hanging everywhere, and people submitted stories, and it was cool. But it was really, really hard to document that. And I tried. Yeah. I tried to like just record a ton of video, and I watched it. I was like, "This is not very interesting." <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, and so that I feel like 
that, like learning that that was not very good, but then seeing other people that take pieces I'd gone to in person, some of them were doing these things that were like the, like what I saw on their website was very different, but very compelling, but it was also like for a website. And so mm-hmm. I think that was, that's the problem sometimes with documentation and, you know, and music is especially tricky because there's nothing to look at if it's just a composition. Um, and so that becomes a whole nother, like, that would be some, you know, I think there's probably room for some creative approaches for documenting big experiential pieces for websites, you know, whether it's maybe not something that's just like a, you know, you play, but something that's like, I don't know, maybe like part of almost like a online installation that just happens. You know, I think there's room to try to find something, but right. I think that's the kind of thing that like breaks down so much is like, you know, something that works in person is probably not going to be very, you know, fulfilling on on a a computer screen yeah and i mean what you said right there actually made me think of um when bjork came out with the biophilia album she also came out with the app Mm. where right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah like where you could um interact with the technology that she was using to create the the songs and that was that was really effective i mean yeah it certainly doesn't replace the songs Mm -hmm. but in a certain way it like it gives you the viewer or uh, the person who is engaging with the app, mm-hmm. like the ability to to not only see what she was working with, but also create something yourself. Right. Yeah. So I wonder in, the, in, the, in those mm-hmm. big like experiential pieces, you know, mm-hmm. maybe giving like, and I mean, this would take a lot of coding, you know, right. so we would all have to get right. better at that. But right, um, right. but give but give people like not not a a document, but mm-hmm. the materials for them to work with themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel like the stuff you're putting out there, you know, especially because, you know, especially if you know someone's looking at this thing for the first time or you're submitting it to some sort of group of people to review, like, um, I mean, chances are they're, you know, they're not immediately going to want to sit down and listen to this big experiential thing. So it's almost like it'd be better just to entice people with what, you know, the prospect of coming to see your work would actually be like. Right. You know? Just give them a little taste. Right. And so if you yeah. give them like a like a snippet of like, this is the type of thing that happens, like, you know, like like the app idea or like the see like the under the hood technology of it. Like that's probably enough if it's cool to like just interest people to come actually see the thing and realize that they have to be there to do that, you know. Right, but I mean the I mean because you have to be at these places it's very it's very limiting. Like I'm looking mm-hmm. I'm looking at your website and I'm like, "Oh, that's so cool. I want to go see." But I I'm in China and you're in California. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I'm not going to be able to I'm not going to be able to see this for a while. You know, right. so yep. it's like it's just frustrating. I think it is frustrating. <laughs> I know. I think yeah. we I think we've just gotten spoiled too in some ways cuz it's like Everything is accessible so quickly, yeah. But also, it's still like very, very far away. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, yeah. I think I think you have a point there. Like because because for you know f- since recordings came out, we started to get spoiled. Like mm-hmm. oh, I don't I don't have to get dressed up. I don't have to go out. I don't have to park. I don't have right. to get dinner beforehand. Like I can just sit here and listen yep. to it for twenty minutes and then I'm done. But right, yeah. You really, you really lose a lot, yeah. By totally. by not being there, yep. Let's go. Let's talk about one of your pieces. Okay. Um. So I want to start with "So Soft Rings the Night" for Harp okay. and Interactive Media. So can you explain the? And, and this is one of these pieces where you don't actually have the full piece documented. You just you just give a taste on your website. There's a vi- there's Correct. a video, and mm-hmm. um. So can you uh, explain the interactivity that uh, I mean, it's for harp and and mm-hmm. wind chimes. Correct, correct. So and, yeah, and mm-hmm. explain the interactivity that is encouraging the wind chimes to make sound. Sure. So basically, the you know, the, the concept from the piece is like, um, you know, I feel like most composers have their things, right? They like bells or they like rain. I don't know, whatever. You know, I tend to be a sucker for like just straight up garden wind chimes, which, you know, like my mom has had in our house since forever. So maybe yeah. that's where it comes from. But um, but the thing that's so cool about it to me is it's like all the rhythms of a wind chime are the, all the rhythms like I've ever wanted to write because like it's like so hard to do that. Yeah, um, right. Right. So I wanted to try to like not 
necessarily try to do that because I don't think I would. Like, I don't think you can succeed at that. But at least make uh, a counterpoint to it in some way. And so basically, what's happening in this piece is um, the harpist has a part that at times is very explicitly written out with precise rhythms. At sometimes is more um, open and kind of. Um, to, up to them to decide the durations and things like that. But then I, I built this little interface for them in which there's kind of different modes. And, so, and it sets the kind of the way that the, the wind chimes will respond to the harpist. So, for example, there's a mode in which, you know, the more that the harpist plays, the more that the wind chime goes. It's kind of a direct one-to-one relationship. Yeah. There's a time where I call it more like the the wind chime is... Is kind of leading where the less that the harpist is playing, the more the wind chime will go, um, and so it kind of becomes this. So the the relationships are pretty straightforward, but I think the effect of it is kind of cool because at times in the piece it seems like the harp is accompanying the wind chimes, and at other times it seems like the wind chimes accompany the harp, and sometimes they're equal. And then you can also there's times where the wind chimes completely you know are are off as well, um, and so I think it gets at some of the same kind of slippery rhythms. And there's just like, there's really no sense of, um, I guess, purpose in some ways to that music, which is kind of what I like about wind chimes is that it's never trying to get anywhere. It just kind of does its thing. Right. And so I like that about the piece that there's no like teleology of, you know, we got to get to this thing or this cadence or this resolution. It just kind of goes. And there's like different sections and things, but um so that's basically what's happening in terms of the interaction between between the two, um, and you know it's written in the score where they you know where they switch that um, mode of interactivity. Mm-hmm. And you have on on the harp you have like a little contact mic or something, and that's running to a computer. And then you have w- w- is it a Arduino that's making the yeah so. Right. So basically, what's happening is you have um, so so basically, yeah. There's a little mic on the harp that runs straight to an Arduino that I've loaded up with mm. all the code to deal with it. And so basically, that um, you know goes to the Arduino. It takes its cue from whatever um, interactive mode is set up, and then the Arduino is also powering a little motor underneath the wind chimes that spins it around in whatever particular way, yeah. um, whichever mode it's set up to do. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was um that was a fun moment for me too because, excuse me, um, I think I, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think sometimes, especially in music with um, technology, whether it's like electroacoustic or just straight electric electronic music, um, because and this makes sense, but because people spend spend so much time on the sound and like the you know the piece and the aesthetics of the sound, um, I think you know. Other things are not as important, which is fine. But for me, I, I still wanted the components that were not necessarily just about the sound to be aesthetically interesting as well. So, for example, even just the interface that um, that the harpist is working with, which you can see on the video, is right. you know I try to I try to make that look interesting and try to like make that look elegant and things like that. And so that's one of the challenges I've been trying to set for myself when it comes to you know, being this inner artist, you know, trying to do these betweens is to treat the same, like, priority of aesthetics to all the different modes. Because for so long, you know, I've, you know, presented pieces that have technology that, you know, just kind of cables everywhere. And that's a kind of a petty example. But I think it really, it comes across stronger when all the things are kind of working really well together. And so that, this is one of the first pieces where I was really trying to get something that looked as good as it sounded, I guess, you know.
One thing that I think we have in common is mm-hmm. an interest in something other than music or other than art, which we then mm-hmm. directly translate into music or art. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and in this, I'm thinking of your aggregate pathways or the mm-hmm. ancestry sculpture. And yes. maybe more than that, it's an interest in new ways to control art. Mm-hmm. Ways in yep. which ways in which the mind is uh, only a single component among several instead of right. like the end-all be-all creative driver. I right. mean, do, yep. do, do you, can you, can you speak to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's such a, um, an interesting field to me because it kind of calls into a lot of, I, I think that's, you know, that more than anything is what's driven me to expand all these, um, disciplines I've been working on for myself because I think there's some really interesting things about even like perception and things that don't that can um that are unexpected but come to light when you start to do um work that crosses several mediums and uses you know various data or various other ideas whether it's you know physics or ancestries or things like that um because in some ways I've always thought it funny that like normally it's left to like you know sciences and things to show us these, um, you know these relationships with things like charts and you know like little yeah. lists of your ancestry and stuff. And so and there's not really much motivation for um, kind of a, a classical scientist to try to show this um, these ideas or what it doesn't have to be science. But it's just an example and in some interesting way. And so I think there's a lot of untapped possibilities to communicate ideas in ways that you would never expect or maybe you don't even have expectations when you make the piece but something kind of cool comes out of it um so for example like you know like with the wildebeest the um, aggregate pathways um that was just sort of a complete crapshoot i I have no idea if this is going to look good or not i just have all this like (laughs) gps data (laughs) right so in that piece like there these wildebeest have been tagged with gps uh Correct. Like, yeah, they have they have collars on them that like twice a day basically get a, a fix on their position. So it's been in, going on for years, right? And in that piece, you're using the data generated by the the the, the GPS data from the wildebeest to create. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it really creating something or is it just translating it? It's a little bit of both. I kind of approached it two ways because on the one hand, I wanted to see you know if if I could actually effectively and more directly you know show this um this data in like an interesting way but that was still like communicative of the actual information but then there was also modes within that like um like on the website there's one that kind of looks like a like a floral arrangement almost Mm -hmm. and that was me taking the gps data and then also extrapolating other kind of more artistically motivated um relationships between them to kind of create abstracted but also i think um fairly beautiful shapes um and so I, I think that that's when I approach these type of projects. I like to have kind of two goals, like have have ways to experiment to try to get something, I guess, more practical <laughs> across, but also to have something a bit more interesting and creative um, come out of it too. And that was um, just sort of a complete experiment with that. But I think it I think it was an interesting way to go about it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the your piece, Vernon. This is this is a relatively mm-hmm. recent piece. Yeah, I wrote this piece um, this past spring. I guess it would be. Um, I started getting my feet wet with um, an actual analog modular synthesizer because um, it's, it's it's something that's been a pretty big tradition here at UCSB, and it's something that I've in theory worked with because you know Max MSP and these things have sort of digital. You know, they're based off all this pretty much. Right. Um, yeah. And so I wanted to, you know, get into this world. Like we have people like Curtis Rhodes and all these pioneers of this field. So um, the one thing, though, that I was not finding particularly satisfying is that, especially when you're just getting used to it, most of the time it sounds like a sci-fi movie from the 50s. (laughs) (laughs) This is like... (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. It's like someone like, yeah... Broken like five theremins. Um, because but, uh, is is that because it's so? I mean, it's it's just based on 
uh, mathematical cycles. You know, it's basically, so regular. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's basically all these functions and you're feeding it usually just like sine waves or square waves. You're basically, you know, it's it takes a lot of virtuosity to make something that sounds interesting on this. And, right. and also is dynamic, I guess, is the big thing. Yeah. Um, so that really just honestly wasn't doing it enough for me to want to get really into it. So instead, I wanted to give it some source that was more interesting to me and then treat it as less of maybe um, more of a f- way of filtering as, a, as opposed to a way of like synthesizing like, you know, with, with sine waves and things like that. And so um, my grandfather, Vernon, who's, you know, pieces after, um, was on my mind because he had been struggling with some health issues and had just flown out to California. And I found this uh, pretty hilarious, like, recording on my phone that I had made when he was telling a, a war story from the South Pacific from World War II. And I, I just recorded it because, like, he's a pretty great storyteller. And um, yeah. and so I was like, okay, I want to use this as the as the the input for this entire piece and see what comes out of just the voice, you know, like that. I wanted that was like the goal, and um, and it, it was pretty interesting because um, he actually passed away just uh, two or three weeks ago now, and the um, it, it's interesting because the piece kind of fragments his voice in this way that's um, a little heavy, but it also I think is pretty apt to describe sort of how he's been lately. And how my experience around him has been because uh-huh. it's sort of fragmented and, you know, like that sort of goofiness he has. And he's a total charmer and lady killer. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like that still So was that's there. where you get it from, huh? <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's like that was always still there. Like that was all under the surface. But, you know, with this, with his health struggles, you know, that has this extra layer, excuse me, like extra layer on top. And, um, and in a weird, really weird roundabout way like putting his voice through a modular synth um <laughs> it somehow approximated you know like kind of what he was going through and um and you know it was i think it was a better way for me to acknowledge his life and you know ultimately his, his passing more so than if i had tried to write some kind of poem or you know something like that like that it just i felt like it captured him in a way that um worked for me and made sense to me so yeah. that's where the whole piece came from and ultimately went so yeah mm-hmm. i mean just just as a listener you know the the conversation like you said is very fragmented and is mostly undecipherable in places but you Correct. do get like mm-hmm. hints of the yeah. conversation you know you can pick out words here and there so totally. yeah and that that kind of made it i th- i thought for me that drew me in you know mm-hmm. that I that I couldn't hear everything, that I couldn't understand everything, and it drew me in trying to trying to make trying to make sense of it, and trying to grab onto words, and trying to grab onto like the the feeling of his voice, and so and yes. I mean you can hear you in that too, right? I I heard right, your yeah. laugh every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a few moments where yeah, he's he's a pretty funny guy, so yeah, I couldn't help but uh, <laughs> yeah, busting out a little bit. Um, no, I think so too. Like it's pretty. I think it ends up being a kind of evocative sound, um, just the sound of the voice, and not so much the meaning of the words, you know. Um, and then the times that it does kind of shine through, it 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 really is like sort of a, a a cadence of in some way that it's like this kind of release of tension that you've been sort of leaning in towards. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's you know there's other interesting things that came out of the sound too. Like at one point there's this really kind of epic wall of reverb and feedback that was happening pretty unintentionally i was kind of at that point just like moving a bunch of dials around me like, <laughs> um, and, so, um, and at one point like just like you can, it almost sounds like this not to get too programmatic but like it almost sounds like this gigantic like plane you know like pro- like propeller plane yeah um and like you know that was just kind of a happy accident just because of the content of what he's talking about, which maybe doesn't come across in the recording, but you know, I knew that was what the story was about. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. Like just doing the the modular synth thing is, you have to give up a lot of control um, because yeah. it's happening in real time. You can't. All then all of a sudden you'll get something you love, and then you're afraid to touch it, but then you do, and then you get something else that you may love or might totally suck. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of an exciting. Uh, like, you know, it's a performance in and of itself, even though, like, you're the only one in the room. But um, so that's been kind of a fun new area for me to, to get into. 
I was watching this documentary about uh, Eliane Radig, and mm-hmm. um, and she and she was talking about that exact thing. You know how mm-hmm. like, and she she had very very you know explicit uh, instructions and charts mm-hmm. on, on how to how to control the uh, the synthesizer. But yeah, I mean, if you're just starting out, maybe you don't have that that kind of uh, that workflow or that. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, so it is. It's very fleeting. It's very fragile. And <laughs> oh, totally. I remember, like, it wasn't on this piece. It was just something else that I basically came across. This like, I like turned like it was just, like kind of a bunch of junk, and then I turned like one dial, and like this like alien dubstep just started happening, <laughs> and I was like, what, <laughs> what the? And then I was so scared to like touch it, and like. And I wasn't recording, so I basically this thing was just going forever. And so I started up the computer and like got everything set up. And like right when I was about to hit record, um, I, t- I tripped over the cable. And oh just, like, no! <laughs> like whoop, gone. So, um, but that's you know that's kind of the thing about it. Though, is like you sort of just have to accept that that was awesome. You'll never be able to do it again. Yeah, it's a shame no one was here. But I guess you know, <laughs> try again. <laughs> So yeah, it's 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 fun. It kind of keeps and you and you have that memory where it's it's getting better and better right. and better now. <laughs> totally, exactly, right, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So my wife Kate and I were were having a conversation the other day. Um. And we were actually talking about you. Um. And she asked me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> she asked me going forward. You know, in my mm-hmm. in my uh, career. She's like, you kind of want to be Mark, don't you? And I was like, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've had this, I, I, you know, this desire for a long time to try and mm-hmm. get into other things other than music, and, mm-hmm. um, and I've, and I've sort of accomplished that by collaborating, you know, yeah, with, yep, with yep. dancers, with poets, with, mm-hmm. you know, the, these other artists, but you know, never really taking the leap myself, and I, and I thought about this for a while. And I was like, do I want to be Mark? And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's not that, no, no, no. It's not that I don't want to, it's not that I don't want to take the path that you have taken, but I don't Mm -hmm. really think I have it within me. And Mm. to, to, to like go in the directions that you do. And I said that it had to do with what I imagine that your driving forces are in creating new work. Mm -hmm. And I interpret your work as having a lot to do with material that Mm -hmm. the material is the thing that drives the creation as opposed Mm -hmm. to an artist, as opposed to an artist in which ideas necessitate material to realize them. Yeah. So is is that am I interpreting it correctly or no, I think that's a, I think that's a fair way to put it because um, you know, a lot, and like that's kind of the scary, frustrating, but sometimes and ultimately rewarding part of like the way I approach, like like you mentioned, where it's I sort of get into this thing because I feel sort of stuck, and I work in this new material, I work in this new field, or with this new tools, and usually it's pretty bad for a while. Um, like it just does, like it doesn't, it isn't anything, but out of that comes some the material that sort of materializes uh is something interesting or i find some way to funnel it you know as opposed to, yeah but you're, i think you're completely correct in that i don't have this idea you know and then go find all the tools that'll make that thing i i guess i'm a bit more um more like, like hands-on the, or hands-on like i need to sort of like get into the kitchen with all the stuff and throw it around and see you know what comes like out of it what I, what comes out of it and i mean that and so it's very fun to do that but it's also like I said, kind of frustrating sometimes too, because you know, especially as you start to be like a more established artist, which I don't know that I am, but you know, it's like <laughs> at least you think of yourself like, or at least you're like, I've been doing this for a long time. I better be good. Right, at this I thing. should be um, at that point, right? <laughs> I should be. Uh, it's kind of like it's like maybe like learning a new language as an adult. It's like you kind of get it. Kind of sucks to be getting older and then to have to suck at something again. You yeah, know? right. Um, <laughs> So, it's, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. So, like, you know, right now, like, my, you know, for example, like, coming to where I am now, and then even when I was at Rice for two years, like, um, I basically was like, you know, I, I need to learn to code to do all these things that I want to do, or, like, that I think a lot of cool stuff's going to come out of that. And 
Uh, I kind of just jumped in, and for a while it was just really bad and pretty embarrassing. <laughs> but now I feel like you know I got some pretty you know some decent chops under my hands now, and so I can do some interesting things that I've sort of found exploring that world. You know. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, but for a while it's just very frustrating because you just see people that have done it for ten years, and you're like, man, I should have started that ten years ago. But then right. I think if I did that, I also probably wouldn't have been playing guitar for six years. You know, like it's just yeah. kind of like a, a given trade. So yeah, I guess the it's. It's kind of playing the long game a little bit. Like I feel like you know, I'll be like ninety eight and finally have all the things I need to you know make a piece. So um. <laughs> that's awesome. And then trip on the cord and it all cool. right. It all comes. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So I want to end with uh, into a violet unchanging light. Ah, so yes, that piece. I have I have a pretty special relationship with this piece because I've heard it at some of the more intimate times of my life which Mm -hmm. is putting my daughter violet to sleep Mm -hmm. so before she was born i asked several composer friends to write lullabies for her which either i could play on guitar or piano or for them just to be fixed media pieces Mm -hmm. and um so uh ben krause uh whose podcast i think will have already come out by the time this one comes out Uh, He wrote one uh, for piano. Um, uh, Jenny Dirks, she wrote a fixed media piece. Mm -hmm. And then you gave me this 30-minute fixed media piece. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe you didn't even think about this, but kids can sometimes take a long time to fall asleep. So 30 minutes was awesome. (laughs) It's oh, been good. very useful. <laughs> it's been very useful, and I'm forever grateful to you and the other composers awesome. for <laughs> you know for giving this gift to my daughter. Like that's that's pretty special. So, can you talk oh, about can you talk about what went into making this piece? What are the what are the elements? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- for me, like this was a great opportunity to um two things, I guess. The first and even less important is like the like you're saying, like material coming out of, or like my ideas coming out of the material. Um, I just had all these like little music boxes laying around everywhere from something else I did, and um, I just love right, the right, way right. that they p- sound. that piece yeah. was like that piece was the um, wasn't that had to do with yeah. like the Beatles had, or something? Had, yeah, so I had like I had like thirty <laughs> of these silly little um, music boxes that did um, Yellow Submarine, right? And you know, one one day. I was just going so slow, like playing it, like just cranking it so slow. And it's like, it was something totally different and pretty magical. And I loved it. Um, so that was a, like a perfect example of what you're saying, where like this whole thing came out of something that just was like an experiment. Um, but then more like uh, conceptually, like this was also a really satisfying opportunity for me to have basically, you know, in a, in a world where, either no one ever had to listen to my stuff or everyone just liked my stuff, like, automatically, I would just write things that, like, didn't do anything. Like, I just, I mean, there's a reason why I love Morton Feldman. Like, I just love really long notes that are really quiet and that just chill for a while. Like, I just love that. But I've always felt, like, in various schools or writing things for people that not everyone's into that. So, like, I've always sort of felt this, you know, (laughs) this, like, pressure to... Um, make it go somewhere or like, you know, change a note occasionally. Um, and so, <laughs> um, uh, so for me, like this was like the one opportunity where I had, I was like, all right, I don't have to worry about any of that. Like this can be as like the chiller, the better, like there's no yeah. pressure to like, you know, throw a thousand notes into this thing. And so, um, I basically created this background texture that pretty much goes throughout and it's, um, you know, just using some of my convolution to make these sort of... Normally, they tend to be ghost-like, but that kind of is like a, a more frightening connotation than this is. There's more like ethereal sort of washy yeah. sounds that are in the yeah. background. And so I basically had that as like just a bed to hang out on, and it doesn't change. Like, it 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 moves, but it doesn't change, you know? Um, and then basically sat there and recorded tons and tons of material with this little music box, Um and just got like this insanely long, way too long maybe, but um, <laughs> uh, con- like you know, built up all this material on this like um, little music box, and then just cut it into a thing. And you know, I was trying to 
at first, I'm glad you mentioned the, that you're happy that it's longer because yeah. at first I was like, oh man, I should cut this thing down. Like, you know, band camps yelling at me to, it's too long of a file. <laughs> and all this stuff. Um, so, but in the end I was like, okay, 30 minutes, it feels good. Um, and I just felt so satisfied having written something that was like truly how I just enjoy music. And that's just completely like... I even feel weird saying it now, but like completely static. I just love that. I can't explain it, but that's just something that really, you know, gets, yeah, gets to me. So, um, so I felt like, yeah, the pressure's off to to satisfy any competition. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> there was no competition. <laughs> there was no competition. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I'm so I'm glad that worked out as well for you as it did for me. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll, you know, we'll listen to an excerpt of it. And um, cool. Normally, you mean you don't want your podcast to be like five hours long? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, so normally, uh, when I go to sleep at night, I actually I mm-hmm. listen to podcasts to like fall asleep at night. So I think oh, we'll nice. just I think we'll just close out the podcast with like a, a, a longer excerpt of this piece and. If you, the listener, are trying to fall asleep right now, here you go. Here you go. <laughs> 